picture yourself lying on a white sand beach, sipping a Mai Tai as you listen to the gentle sounds of the ocean. And best of all, you're getting paid for it. Okay, back to some reality. And let's modify that proposition somewhat. How would you like to work as a speech pathologist in an exotic location on a short-term basis? Of course, it doesn't have to be exotic. Maybe you've always wanted to live in, I don't know, Flagstaff, Arizona. It's an industry most of us know about, but few have tried. Yes, today we're talking about travel therapy. Hey everyone, on today's episode of Conversations in Speech Pathology, we are talking to Julia Kuhn, who writes the blog, The Traveling Traveler. I just love that name. Her posts and informational pages cover all things travel therapy, including questions one should ask prospective employers, logistics of temporary moves, meeting new friends in new places, etc., etc. I ask for all the questions I'd sure like to know answers to, if I were getting into the travel business. So without further ado, here is Julia. I mentioned that I, when I first learned about travel therapy, I was a grad student. This is in the nineties and used to see in um, the advanced magazines. I remember when they came out the paper version, you would see in the back pages, these ads for, it was always like pictures of like Hawaii Arizona and uh, Colorado, you know, talking about people skiing, laying on beaches and whatnot. So, and of course, I was w- wondered what it would be like to do that, and uh, I never took the uh, the plunge. But you've you've blog about this, you've written about this, and most importantly, you've lived the life of a travel therapist. And so, I'm so excited to hear about all the uh, all the ins and outs of travel therapy. But uh, let's start with the beginning. About uh, you went, I think you got your master's at Emerson. Is that right? I did. I got my master's degree at Emerson and my undergraduate from Penn State University. Penn State. And you. so how long have you been an SLP for? I've been an SLP uh, for eight years now since two th- I graduated in 2009. And your first job out of school was where? My first job out of school, it was in the Boston area at a SNF uh, locally to Boston called Hancock Park Rehab. Pretty standard SNF job at the time. And how long did you stay there for? I was there, I did my CF, then I was pretty much there about a year and a half before I jumped into travel. So I started traveling about 2010. Now, how did you, now, what was it? I think you said that it was at at that place where you first learned more about travel therapy from people who had actually done it. Is that right? I did. So I don't know if I really knew what a travel therapist was before I started working. I was kind of thinking about that back to grad school. And I, I don't know. I knew... I remember seeing more or less like, say, like in the advanced magazines, um, like really rural places advertising like really high pay rates for permanent jobs, like come to like northern Michigan for like a lot of money. I I definitely started traveling after like the heyday of travel, which I would say it would be like the 90s. Those are like the high bill rates where it was like great jobs. I, I kind of got into it definitely later in the scene. But 
when I was doing my CF, the place I was at needed a couple travelers at the time. There were some pregnancy leaves, some medical leaves. So really like it was one of those kind of great facilities that just had people out for a short term amount of time. And we got travelers in. we got some really good travelers in, um, cause we had a great location, great building mm-hmm. and they were kind of young single people just like myself at the time. And they're kind of looking at me saying, you need to do it. Like you, you love to travel. I spent that whole first year just like using up my, all my PTO and money, taking trips all over just on my own. Yeah. We should they're establish like, the to- fact that you love to travel and I do. Yeah. <laughs> so traveling is not something that you just started as a travel <laughs> therapist. But I think you mentioned to me that even before you started your first job, you had taken some time off to travel. Yeah. So basically I, I was kind of, I guess, one of those lucky people who like the day after I graduated, I got a job offer and I basically hung up the phone with HR and immediately called, um, STA travel, who was like the kind of student travel agency at the time and said, book me a flight now. And I just booked like a, a, it ended up being a month long trip to Europe that I took by myself, um, arrived back home like two days before I started my job. And then then that first year working, I remember just at the time it was kind of more PTO than it's kind of given out now, but I remember just maximizing like every holiday, like if I would get Labor Day off, I would like flex that day, use it with another day. Do I was doing a lot of long weekends. I did a, a two-week trip to Barcelona over the summer. And I think it was when I came back from um, Spain that we had the travelers. And then the, the staff where I was working was kind of looking at me like, you, you got to get out of here. Like, you, there's more to see. There's more to explore. You're yeah. a young clinician. Um, you have... Definitely your skill set can grow in a lot of different ways. Um, yeah. You know, just get out, explore. Now, I'm just um, curious. So you're from uh, Pennsylvania originally. Yeah, and, which is uh, actually where I am now. Yeah, it's weird. Oh, yeah. You, your parents are somewhere else? I am. I'm, I'm home right now. Yeah, you caught me while I'm in between assignments. Yeah. <laughs> in limbo here. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. So just for the audience, you, you were uh, previously in Hawaii for a while. Um, as a matter of fact, the first time, the first time we tried to connect, I think you were on Kauai (laughs) and we had a really bad connection. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going, I'm going back to Hawaii. Um, are you going back at the end of April? Yeah. yeah. Is it the same place or a different place? I'm yeah. I'm going back to the same place. Nice. Nice. So uh, prior to starting doing travel therapy, how much of the U S had you seen? I had seen a good portion of it growing up the traveling my family did was really like family traveling like in kind of like packed cars and like rvs like we drove probably from like i would say maine to south dakota Mm -hmm. um like on the road probably did like um air trips to the west coast arizona so i saw a lot of the u.s as a kid. And I think, I think that's a little bit of what pushed me to do some of the international traveling, mm-hmm. um, when I got a little older, cause I did see a lot of the U S but there's a, I mean, there's so much to explore. There's a lot I didn't see. So oh, sure. I've been seeing. Yeah. Yeah. So you had spent about, was it a year and a half before starting the travel therapy? 
Yeah, I spent a year and a half in the SNPs before start travel therapy. Okay, so let's get into the weeds. I I, I think one okay. of the first questions I'd ask you last time is how do you go about picking an agency to work with? What I mean, did someone just recommend one off the bat, or did you have like a list of three that other people have given you? That's the hard thing. In my in my case, somebody recommended um, Core Medical Group to me at the time, who is actually who I've ended up working for most of my jobs over the past seven years. And re- referrals are really huge in in travel therapy in general. Yeah. Um, because there's hundreds of agencies within every agency. There's recruiters who are the person. That's the person who manages you personally. It's like your manager, your agent. Yeah. So with thousands of recruiters, it's like, well, yeah, who do you go with? So at the time that I was looking into travel therapy, it was when I was working with a lot of travelers. And um, there's this consensus that CoreMed Group was a great company to work for, ended up matching up with the recruiter there. Um, And I did talk to other companies in the beginning, but I think when you're talking to companies, you just kind of get a feel for like who you want to talk to, who you want to work with. A lot of it is relationships over the phone. Mm-hmm. I always feel like I can I can either talk to someone on the phone or not, and um, and just I could tell like okay, who can I build a relationship with, who I can work with, and to this day I'm still doing that. I still um, interview agencies, talk to different recruiters, so that kind of never stops, but it is one of the more challenging parts of getting started because it's overwhelming. And yeah. I think the question I hear from new travelers so often is what's the best agency? And my answer is always, there's not a best agency. You know, there, these are temporary staffing agencies. Like look at what you need. Um, what kind of health insurance do you need? What kind of like contracts overwhelmingly does an agency have? Yeah. Um, the larger agencies usually pay to have pretty much more or less like every contract they can get their hands on. Some of the smaller agencies can't afford that. It costs money to um, basically to have a bidding rights for contracts with different people. So there's different factors, but overwhelmingly, a lot of the agencies are pretty much the same. Yeah. And now do the, do you find is one of the differences among the agencies the fact that maybe some agencies only work with a certain region in the U.S. or maybe have a specialization only with SNFs versus you know other types of facilities? I don't I don't know if that's if that's a, a factor. I think some agencies now are are trying to do that. So some of the smaller agencies might have a hold on geographic areas, and it's kind of geographic area specific. Like um, New York City is a good example of where a lot of national staffing agencies can't get contracts in the city, um, but there are city-based agencies that will c- contract within the city, and they have a like a constant supply of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of that's not the norm. The norm is generally that agencies will have contracts all over the country, and that they pretty much have every level of care. I think to distinguish themselves, some are trying to be more specialized. Um, I've mm-hmm. noticed some specializing more in schools. School placements for SLPs are huge. It's actually where a lot of travel jobs are. So I think some are trying to get more specialized in schools and just saying, hey, we're education-based, we're school-based. Um, and then some, I think, are trying to be more healthcare-based. Um, but again, it's hard to get like 
just a certain exclusive contract. Yeah. You know, the, the, the difference that I've seen, at least from an advertising standpoint, is I get the sense that over... The, when I saw the ads in the 90s, that a lot of those ads were for skilled nursing facilities. And there's still mm-hmm. a lot of that, I think, but I, I see so many... Um, postings for school basic school contracts yeah. seem to be just have exploded oh. as a matter of fact I, yeah. I don't think a week goes by that i don't get either an email or a phone call from a recruiter at uh yeah. at one of these companies for school now maybe obviously maybe i've sort of been pre-selected to that they know that i work with pediatrics and that's what they're calling for um at <laughs> least that's what i assume they're calling for <laughs> I, have no yeah. idea. I mean i usually because i usually like a lot of the emails will say we have school positions in the following states and there we mm-hmm. need someone like yesterday so yeah <laughs> um, no, it's yeah. it's true school contracts have exploded and i'm not a pediatric therapist at all i yeah. honestly i wish i were i wish i could just based on the job market is just not where my skill set is but if you take a if you want a school contract, you can really name your location, which I think is really cool. Um, yeah. A lot of sniffs, those jobs are kind of going to be in areas that are um, not saturated by clinicians, more rural. I see school contracts everywhere, Denver, San Francisco, LA, Portland, like all like, you know, kind of like the fun cities, great places. Yeah. And high yeah. paying too, like really high paying. So it's definitely a great market for SLPs. And it's funny, a lot of them, I, I see people shy away from them. They want to take um, the medical contracts, um, which I do, but I'm super selective about the medical contracts I take at this point. Well, you know, I think we touched upon last time the fact that yeah. you, it, it's, I think you've, you've actually seen, if I'm not mistaken, at, at different locations, you know, one of the things that I think is a constant no matter where you're working in, at least in the U.S., is... Um, you know, the, the productivity requirements, because you work yeah. primarily in SNFs. Have you noticed, uh, you know, one state or areas might be more laid back <laughs> about those things than others? I mean. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, I don't want to offend anybody. Let's just say <laughs> I, I let my Texas license expire. Sorry, Texas. <laughs> but I, I absolutely felt like what was um, ex- just expected of me overwhelmingly um, was was just way too much. Um, yeah. But yeah, you you see you. See, it's cool because you see a lot of medical differences too. You just see you see a lot of differences overwhelmingly. Um, one thing I've worked a lot in the Northeast. I love the Northeast. You definitely see a lot more clinicians who kind of really, um, will stand up for themselves and what they can, um, do and what, what's ethical. So that's where I was trained. So I, I I really appreciate that because the sniff I did my CF in really taught me a lot about how to stand up for myself as a clinician, my patients, and then, I carried that kind of wherever I went and, <laughs> and really I think I was kind of like rushed out of Texas because I was just too much they call, they literally called me like this Yankee who just could not like <laughs> could not hang I was just yeah well you've got to be an advocate for your much. patients and uh yeah you know uh, the, the ethics <laughs> issues are real and uh, you know everyone's going to come across them at some point um, yeah no no the ethics issues are real um but they're re- I mean, they are everywhere. They're yeah. they're in Massachusetts. They're in California. They're I mean, they're they're absolutely everywhere. And 
it's something we have to deal with like as an entire country. It's not just a state or a county. It's it's everywhere. Yeah. Okay. So back to the nuts and bolts. Now, when you, let's say you find your, uh, an agency you want to work with, I, you know, being that uh, San Francisco, let's take San Francisco and uh, Boca Raton, Florida, uh, two very different areas of the country, both with nice weather, generally speaking, uh, but very, two different, very different costs of living. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would assume that the pay rates sort of mirror that at least. I mean, you know, San Francisco, I think, is probably the most expensive uh, rental market in the country. I'm sure San Francisco and New York City are probably neck and neck. Um, actually, I would say San Francisco probably edges them out. But uh, you Californians will let me know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, what is... Is it easy for an SLP to take a job in San Francisco if they wanted to in the Bay Area? So, um, it's, so that's kind of two questions. So number one with the Bay Area, um, yes, there's actually a lot of SLP jobs there and they're, they're fairly high paying. It's because there's a need. Overwhelmingly, there's a huge need for speech therapists in California. California pays high rates for people to come there. It's a great state to work in, get licensed in. Mm-hmm. across every setting. Um, I've actually, I've never worked in a sniff in California. I've only worked in acute care hospitals, mm-hmm. uh, inpatient rehab. So great places to work there. Tons of needs in the Bay Area. Bay Area needs always come up. Um, versus, so Florida, Florida is really oversaturated with SLPs. There's a couple of schools down there. Hard to find a job as a perm person. Again, really? unless if you're looking at schools. Schools actually have a big need down there. Yeah. Um, but medically, not a big need in, in Florida. Now, looking at the price differences, you would think um, Bay Area would be higher paying. And to some degree it is. Um, but overwhelmingly, and I would say this is more or less one of the problems in travel therapy, is um, you only get paid essentially a portion of what a facility is paying to have you there. So if you're looking at the the Bay Area, and yeah, a studio apartment there, fully furnished month-to-month lease, that could easily be $3,000 a month. That's what well, I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so think about the SNF that's paying you. Um, you know, really, what's the highest amount that somebody can pay to have a therapist in the building? I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's not over, you know, 70-something an hour. You know, literally, you're thinking of, like, the absolute most, most you know, a facility can have. So you think, okay, so... The contract, so your hospital's paying the agency. Agency's taking 20, 25% of, the, of your pay cut to run everything, contract you, do everything, pay your insurance. So then you're left with this chunk of money, and it's, it's not, not giving you a lap of luxury type of stay in any place you're going to, which I would say is the real difference between now and what you experienced in the 90s. And I would say the big difference is actually just coming in because the cost of living has gotten so much higher, whereas the bill rates are pretty much the same. They've been stable, yeah. So what if, yeah, yeah. So what a facility can really pay you now is really kind of almost this kind of the same, maybe less than twenty years ago um, when PPS was in, uh, rates were pretty high. So, but even when I started, I remember like I had a 
luxury, fully furnished, um, like one, one bedroom condo middle of Dallas. Like, um, I've actually since seen the building on like reality TV shows, like kind of like stars live there. And I think I was paying like 1600 a month, you know, and I don't, you know, and that was just like seven years ago. So just the cost of living, like overwhelmingly, yeah. is going up and then our bill rates aren't so yeah that's why it's hard for me to that's the challenge yeah. yeah that's that's really the challenge and to me that, that that's why you know the bay area just seems like it would be a hard sell yeah because you can only yeah. it, it's not as if uh you know it makes total sense i mean obviously medicare is going to pay what it pays and yeah uh, you can get to the ceiling but that ceiling is not gonna uh do much to offset a $3,000 a month uh, rental, you know. It's not like, you know, we're not, we're not like tech people where firms will pay $200 an hour to have like a contractor. And we just, we can't possibly ever have that rate. So um, if you, I think sometimes people compare us like, oh, like my friend who's a tech consultant or a financial consultant, they get to stay at this hotel or they get this nice condo. Well, they're they're probably working on a couple hundred dollars an hour of a contracting rate, and we just can't possibly do that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's one of the challenges. And I know, you know, even ten years ago, I know people who were doing the Bay Area as travelers and and finding condos for like fourteen hundred a month, fifteen hundred a month. So it's just over the past really couple of years, mm-hmm. things have been going up. And I think maybe last time we talked about Craigslist and Airbnb. Mm-hmm. And and really, like Airbnb is has been one of those um, kind of double edged swords for contractors because now it's so easy to find a short term place. Like here they are, they're all there. But it's yeah. so easy on both ends that the people who are renting short term places can charge extraordinary amounts versus in the past where it was harder, they couldn't charge those higher prices. Now it's easy to get people in. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Now, uh, you had mentioned, I think, last time that as far as healthcare coverage, you know, we here in the U.S. Uh, have a private insurance markets. You, um, yeah, I think you had mentioned that you can. There, there's every type of situation under the sun. You can forego insurance. Some companies offer insurance coverage. Uh, if you work with them for a certain amount of time, it, it'll stay stable. So if you don't take too much time off between jobs, you'll keep your coverage. Um, is that pretty much the case for you? Yeah. So I get insurance through the agency I work for. And since I primarily work for the same agency, I get insurance through them. And then when I have extended time off, kind of like what I'm on now, I have, um, I'm taking a couple of weeks off. I'll go on, I'll go on Cobra. Um, that's a pretty easy process. So yeah, it's about the same. It's definitely not hard to get insurance. You just have to just think about it differently. Like you might want to plan ahead and get on the um, national plans in November, or yeah, or get it. Yeah, get it through the agency. Yeah, and so I, I'm sure it can become uh, somewhat complex when negotiating your rates, uh, given the fact that some people will be taking healthcare benefits and some won't. Yeah. And that that goes into the mix. And then of course there's also the idea that some you'll talk about your compensation in terms of the stipend for housing or whether maybe mm-hmm. they have a contract with uh, corporate housing. Uh you've seen I think you've seen all sorts of situations under the sun uh in terms of the benefits, correct? 
Yeah. Yeah. So well, and and what I really I like to remember and I like to tell people is you're you're working with one chunk of money. If you take uh, the hourly rate of you in the building times 40 hours a week times 13 weeks, that's the most amount of money that anybody is going to see in the contract. And everything that you get is coming from that money. So there's no kind of secret pot of money that the agency just has that they're going to provide you with benefits or different things. They're, they're pulling they're pulling out of that single pot of money for the job you're in. So yeah. if you're not going to take health insurance, you can absolutely negotiate getting maybe 50 or $100 a week extra as like a, a take-home pay. But if then if you are getting health insurance, you maybe expect less. So it's, it's all kind of, kind of negotiating and really what, what works for you and where do you want to see your money go? And, and that's a difference in agencies too. Some agencies have pretty strict policies about how they do reimbursements. Like if you, um, and, and some are more lenient, like, okay, we'll let you do this. You can do that. So Mm -hmm. something you can play around with. Yeah. Do you now for most of your jobs, have you done all the work in terms of finding corporate housing or short-term housing? I do. Yeah, I do. And I just find it, it works out better for me usually financially that way. Yeah. Um, when, when, when I've let stuff kind of go to my agency, they always come back with the more expensive options, the easier options to find. So I kind of dig in and find cheaper options. And what I really become open to and what I do is personally, I almost never get my own place anymore. I do roommate situations, share rooms. Mm-hmm. I like it because it also opens me up to kind of knowing people in the community. And at this point, I usually find friends of friends. I've traveled so much that pretty good network of people who've worked all over the place who can connect to you. So that's what I do for the for the most part. I find my own places. Okay. Now, let's speak to this, uh, in my case at least, and I'm sure most of the people who are on the fence, it's fear of the unknown. You know, for yeah. some people aren't comfortable traveling by themselves and being on the, you know, on the road or in a new city um, by them by, the, by their lonesome. So here's the question. Uh, first, let's start with off the top of your head, or maybe you just know how many contracts have you had total at this point? Oh, I tried to count recently. It was like it. <laughs> probably like twenty five or somewhere between twenty five and thirty. Okay, twenty five and thirty. What's the what's been the average uh, length of the contract? Um, say three to six months. Okay. Now from all of those, from, from the 25 or so experiences you've had, how many of those experiences have been complete, actually, um, say nightmares, but let's just say significantly disappointing. Either, uh, <laughs> you chose the wrong geographic location. You didn't like the housing. The facility was a poor match. Something just wasn't one of those three or maybe something I'm not thinking of. Something just did not fit. And maybe you stuck it out or maybe you left. It was my second contract. And this was kind of right when some of the Medicare rules were changing. You could still see patients in groups of like maybe like four um, once a week. I walked onto a job in a sniff, was handed a caseload of 12 patients and was basically shown where the bathroom was and told, you have an easy day today. If things don't pick up, we might have to 
cut you. By the end of the week, I had 18 patients, was told I had to be 95% productive. Oh. And I actually had um, the, the company <laughs> um, was owned by SLPs. I don't know if they're still around. And SLP was my regional manager basically telling me I wasn't a good SLP if I couldn't be 95% productive. And they were calling my agency to cut me. Wow. So that was one. Of, and then... I, I stuck it, I stuck it out. I was there, um, pretty much the whole 13 weeks. They cut me a little early. They found somebody to take the permanent job, but, um, just what, you know, the, the whole thing boiled down to what I saw around me Mm -hmm. was, was just frustrating on so many levels. Um, yeah. So yeah. (laughs) Say no more. Uh, so yeah. no, that that's actually no. It's, it's encouraging to know that only a couple of them didn't work out. Yeah. But um, you know, but yeah. otherwise the housing worked out for the most part, and all these places you've been to, and let's just go through a list of uh, you've been in Hawaii, uh, California. I've been in California. Yeah. Arizona. Um, never Arizona. That's oh, okay. that's always been on my list, and now at this point the license is a little harder for me to get. It gets harder to get licenses the more licenses you have. I should add that in. Does it? Um, yeah. yeah. So some states like Hawaii, California, you can do your application. And pretty much they just want to know that you're certified by ASHA or certified by another state. And you can kind of breeze through the application pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of states, and I, I, Arizona has to be one of them. It's probably the reason why I remember starting the application and stopping it. Um, other states want verifications from every state you've ever been licensed in. Um, so like for me to get a new license, I have to contact all the five or six states I've been licensed in and have their boards send a letter to the new board. <laughs> so every letter costs like $15 plus if one of the states does something wrong, they don't check a box the right way, something, they get held up. You have to do it again. Yeah. So right now where I am in my career, like a new license could take me potentially like six months to get just because of all the paperwork um, going through all the different states. So how many states are you licensed in? um, Hawaii, California, Texas is inactive, but I would still have to get verification from the board to show that nothing was, um, you know, like ever on my record there. Um, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and Massachusetts. So six. Wow. Now, cause the thing is, I'm thinking I have, you know, I've, I'm only licensed in the state of Illinois. Okay. I think the license is two years or three years. I forget. <laughs> They're usually two. So whatever it is. And I think I pay roughly, I want to say in the neighborhood of a hundred dollars. Yeah. Uh, to renew it. So I'm thinking like, do you renew each one of these and is each one roughly a hundred dollars or is it more? Or is it less? Some are less. I think Massachusetts and Pennsylvania are somewhere around 60. Connecticut's like 200, 250. Um, I Hawaii's a little more expensive, like one fifty. I forget what California is, but it's a it's a lot of money, and it it, it pretty much kind of comes out of your pocket too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's standard that an agency will reimburse you for the state of the license you're working in when you're doing a contract. Um, okay, that'll kind of get worked into your reimbursements, but 
Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of up to you, and it does get expensive. They have different CEU requirements. Certain states require you take certain classes to renew. I had to do something for Pennsylvania this year on, I think, um, pediatric abuse. So that was like a online class I had to pay for just for that state. So it does get expensive. Yeah, I'm sure you have to keep like a file system folders with the. All the you know, keep it in your your, oh, if, yeah. your phone or something like that. All the deadlines and the, the right. regulations for this and that one. So yeah, that's yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. Um, what's been your favorite location so far? I love Hawaii. Um, it's like, but of course, definitely going back. Yeah, yeah, and um, I'll yeah. I'll definitely I'll spend a lot of time there. It's a good it's a good place. Um, I like I like California and I I love the East Coast too and I think that's why I like to I like the idea of traveling so much because there's so many places I really I really love and uh, I've really really liked most of the places I've gone. I can't think of a geographic location that I didn't think like something was was good or I didn't enjoy. Sure. So um do you ever see yourself stopping this? I mean, is there an endpoint or you're just sort of living moment to moment here? <laughs> I've been thinking about this more lately, more so since I've talked to you last time because I love Hawaii so much. So um, I don't, I think my entire life, I know it's kind of, it's going to be, I don't know where it's going to go. I don't think it'll remain in one place, but I I think, you know, for instance, like I think I could easily be in Hawaii a couple of years, but I know that that's never going to be, for instance, like a permanent thing for me. Like I I always will have the travel bug in me. Like it hit, you know, maybe I'll stay someplace a while. Maybe I'll go at at this point in my career. There's no place, no place. I'm, I really am dying to go for work. Um, it's, I've kind of, I've done everything on my bucket list. There's no place that I'm like, Oh, I, I still want to work there. I still want to work there. So I'd say I'm definitely slowing down. Um, I'm definitely on kind of like the marathon route. And it's funny, I meet a lot of SLPs who will, they'll want to go to like four different places in one year because they have this like sprint, they're running across the country, they need to get home to like, um, you know, do something. And I'm, I'm kind yeah. of on the slower route at this point. Nothing wrong but, with that. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. But it's... So if, if you had, if for some reason you had to... Um, stop the travel therapy right now, and you had to mm-hmm. choose both a state and the setting. What would you? What would you be your ideal right now? And if you just had to make the choice, like you know, I want to work in acute care in this state, in this, what would that be right now? Well, uh, well, I'd, I'd, I'd have to stop and work acute care in Hawaii. It's, okay, it's a pretty, it's pretty nice. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the. The hospital I'm working at now in Hawaii, I, and I, and I definitely, I, that's something we're talking about. Um, I might stop there for a while. Um, it is just the Aloha lifestyle. Um, it, it it's really it's really a joy to work in Hawaii. Actually, I really enjoy it, and um, yeah, definitely not for any, everybody. It's definitely a slower pace, um, very different than working on the mainland. But I would definitely do acute care in Hawaii and. And I, I, it's funny, I'm, I'm talking to my manager right now about, they, they really want to get me to sign on perm and kind of my stipulations are, I'm like, well, you know, it's me. I'm like, 
you know, it's like perm to me is like nine months. Like you're not getting me for like a lifetime. And they're like, we'll take you for whatever we can. Like, oh, that's lovely. Sign on. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you do, if, let's say you did choose to do that. Don't uh, there's always these uh, non-compete or I don't know if that's the term that you would use, but um, the sort of like a a payment they would have to make to whatever contract agency. Is that correct? Or is that just sort of a... It's, it's very rare to run into a non-compete in a contract to actually have one written. And then to yeah. actually have an enforced too is is kind of even... That's what I've heard. Even more rare. And yeah, and it's really yeah. because, it, like, honestly, in my opinion, um, a hospital, like a, a client to a staffing agency is kind of far more valuable than one clinician so yeah. if, if I'm a clinician in this hospital who this hospital might give, um, you know, a staffing agency, they might, they might take a hundred travelers a year. So the staffing agency is going to want to keep their clients happy. And if it means that travelers can sign on they're they're pretty good about that. I, I, I've heard point. some bad non-compete stories. Like I've heard some people who've had to like seriously really go away for like a year, then come back. But yeah. Overwhelmingly, I think staffing agencies they they want to keep their their sniffs or their hospitals happy. So yeah, I haven't I haven't run into that. Most places have tried to recruit me to work for them permanently, and it wouldn't have been ah. an issue with a staffing agency. Yeah. Well, that's a great vote of confidence. Uh, <laughs> to your excellent clinical skills. Well, Julia, uh, thank you thank so you. much for being on the show today. I know we went a little uh, over. Yeah, I was just thinking how cool it would be to do some travel therapy myself when I, re- well, I should say, if I ever retire from full-time employment. Hey, you know, I work in the schools in the state of Illinois, and we just finally passed a budget <laughs> first time in three years. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, no, it would certainly be a cool way to spend uh, my retirement, you know, at least portions of it. You know, maybe go to Hawaii for six months and, you know, earn earn my keep, I guess. Anyway, thanks to Julia for being such a great guest on this show today. It only took three times to get this one recorded. I should mention that we had some unusual technical difficulties the first two times we attempted a Skype call. And the first snafu happened when Julia was trying to connect with me from the island of Kauai. And she couldn't maintain a signal, so... And then the second snafu happened when I accidentally deleted our conversation after having to reformat my Mac. Uh, Anyway, live and learn. So as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please send them my way at jeff at conversationsandspeech.com. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and leave a review for my show in the iTunes store. It would be much appreciated. And thanks for listening. And of course, I'll see you all next time.